What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Outside Perspective. I'm your host, Adam Meredith. We have an awesome guest for you today. But before I get to the guest, I want to say thank you for tuning in. I love you guys. You guys are the shit. I couldn't do this thing without you. So every time you guys listen to an episode, you tell a friend about it, you share it, you help us grow. Uh, You guys are just doing... You guys are doing God's work. Let me tell you that. You're doing God's work. <laughs> no, for real though. I um, I greatly appreciate it. So thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. If you are new to the show, welcome. We are so glad to have you. We have an amazing guest today. I'm sitting down with Todd Fox. For me, this is a big one. So uh, many of you guys know, if you're new, you may not know, but I I do jujitsu, and I am a part of uh, my team's called we're Team Vagi. We're under a guy named Rodrigo Vagi, and uh, on my team, Todd Fox is like he's 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 one of the original OGs. He's like he's like a legend, a, the man, the myth, the legend. I, I told him that on on the show, but for me, I started with the team in like two thousand nine ish, and. Um, I, well after Todd he had already had his black belt and he he had gone on to 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 do other things uh so he wasn't actually really in St. Louis a whole lot cuz his work took him all over the world so I didn't really get a chance to really get to know Todd whenever I joined the team because he was already gone and doing things uh, but I've always heard so many great stories just about his amazing pressure and his amazing ability and just and just how good he was. Uh, so just being able to to connect with Todd is just is for me just such a an amazing experience. But Todd is more than just a black belt. Yes, he is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, under Rodrigo Vagi, but he is also a former uh, Marine. He is a former law enforcement um, officer. He just big in the executive protection space, um, working with you know actors and directors and musicians. Um, some of the biggest musicians, um, some of the more well noted ones. You know, he's done extensive work with you know Madonna and Guy Ritchie and Tool and Janet Jackson, and he did uh, consulting for. The show Jag, and uh, he, was, he was a consultant on the movie The Born Identity, and he's just he's just been all over the world. Um, I think 147 countries. He's he's uh, protected, you know, dignitaries and and uh, politicians and like I said, actors and all these people, and uh, he's just such a fascinating human. And on top of that. He's an author, so he just recently dropped a book called Protection for and from Humanity, which I'm almost actually finished reading. It's been an amazing read, and we talk about that on the conversation. So this was just such a, a fun conversation. Uh, if if you are interested in, in protection, if you're interested in security for yourself, if if you want to just have a greater understanding on how to how to be safe on some of the skills that are required that that the professionals are using, if you would like to have this knowledge, I cannot recommend Todd's book, Protection for and from Humanity, enough. The book is totally worth it, but if you would like to win the book, I am doing a contest. We're going to be giving away one copy of Todd's book, Protection for and from Humanity. 
Very simple to win it. All you have to do is leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So this contest is exclusive to those who have Apple devices. If you are on iPhone, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review, take a screenshot, email that to me at adam at imposedwill.com. So that's A-D-A-M at imposedwill, I-M-P-O-S-E-D-W-I-L-L.com. And you will be entered in to win the book. So that's simple. Leave a rating and review. Take a screenshot. Email it to me. You will be entered to win. This contest will be going for three weeks. I will announce the winner on May the 3rd. Uh, but man, this was just such a fun conversation. Todd Fox is an amazing human. So without any further ado, let's gain some perspective, guys, with Todd Fox. why i said henzo did henzo did he he did a uh a testimonial for your book didn't he he did he yeah did. that's he why did i think that's why i was thinking yeah. henzo yeah. i'm like halfway through the i'm on the soft skills soft skills are the most important skills yeah i'm really excited those to are, like those are number one hard skills are way second to soft because by the time you get to hard skills something's failed right oh. like you don't you don't start at hard skills you start at soft skills okay right so information collection is a soft skill um persuasion is a soft skill um any, any type of communication is a soft skill, generally speaking. And then when you get to shooting and, or even, even fighting, if I'm protecting you yeah. and, I, and, and I'm fighting this guy over here who's watching you. Oh, so it's yeah. something's failed miserably by the time it gets to that. Uh, okay. So the soft skills are more like the, like that's the, the social aspect. That's the, uh, or well, like yeah, the, it, the personal it, it, interaction. It is, it is. But when you look in here, like, and, and I don't know how oh, you got, is that, this is your copy. Yeah, this is my copy. <laughs> well, thanks for supporting the project, man. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so like, for example, and and, and I'll I'll try to mind my language because I, I speak like a sailor, and it's probably not the best thing to sell. But um, like this section that you haven't got to yet, right? It talks about proxemics. So like how close I am to you, relative to how comfortable I am with you, and then the context, the setting that you're in. And so, you know, like in my case, um, if I have an employee who has um, no right to be hooking up with a person in that realm mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's a guy and a girl and they're up close in that face they're they're well within that range so they start to get into you know public distance what's normal and then cultural based on where you're at because okay. what's normal in america is not normal in germany right. it's not normal in japan right and you start to get social distance like i know you we're from the same gym we can be in a certain space and then personal like you're my good friend and i'm comfortable with you being in my face jiu-jitsu is a little different because we're up close and personal all the time. right we all agree. but then intimate distance when you get into like six inches from a, a female let's say you're married right mm -hmm. yeah so like okay same difference yeah like your wife or, or soon-to-be wife is not going to be so happy with like you up on another girl's face that right. tells me you're, you're probably fucking right, right? Yeah. so and so that's what this does it tells me a lot about the relationships from the outside so i'm, yeah. I'm watching something happen with some people i see the interaction i see the distances and i see the body posturing and the movements and so it starts to get into that kind of stuff right which is is this okay and then it starts to talk about kind of how you observe things how you take stuff in um whether the person's a threat to you or not based on uh observable things okay and then those things couple together and then how you kind of pick stuff out at a distance like you know, what's going to draw your attention and, and what fits and doesn't fit. And so these things, really, from my perspective, if you, if you want to know kind of like information, somebody's telling you the truth and or, and or not telling you the truth, like what's reliable, what's not reliable, mm. the person 
or the information and then both of those those components together how does it work to kind of assess whether you're going to make a decision based on information that person's given you yeah and then that person's history of of being reliable right and you start to get into that kind of stuff and then you start to get into the the assessments portion of it which is i think the most interesting part like shooting and fighting and driving and all that stuff is is that's the sexy stuff but yeah but the the reality is is like things get way the guys think about this for a second think about like what do you think like in terms of special operations what do you think is like the highest level What, what do you think like the highest level, yeah. Of a special operations, like operator level. What's the highest level for you? Like name a unit oh, or entity. Or oh, and, and I always go to like like the like Delta Squad. Okay, so like Delta Force. Delta you, Force. You look at Delta. Does the guy, the Delta Force operator, decide what he's going to do? Like, meaning, does he get to pick the mission? Uh, no. He doesn't get to pick the mission. Does he get to pick the place where the mission's at? I'd say no. No, he doesn't get to pick the place. Does he get to pick the time frame? No. no. So what happens is a, a, a bureaucrat, somebody, a politician, decides right. they have an objective, whether it's getting oil or, or building a relationship with a, a country or doing whatever, and then they build a strategy and then they go to the general at, at whoever it is, Joint Chiefs of Staff or somebody at DOD or a unit specific or SOCOM or whatever, and then they tell them, hey, boom, 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 these are the things we want to do. And then they give it to them to achieve the objective, but they're not the ones deciding the mission. Or mm. So the soft skills are really what drive the hard skills okay generally speaking so at the top you know the president's not out there shooting people right right the president right. is is on the soft skill side he's he's dealing with the relationships the manipulation the adjustment the course of action the, right all of that stuff and that's that's the real shit like if you think about um so you guys have cameras and you have audio and video and you have lighting you have all this stuff so where else does this exist where else does does this kind of stuff exist oh. in a, in, a, in the big picture? Where is this most prevalent? Oh, I say like like in movie studios. Yeah, okay. And stuff? So so right there, so movie studio. Who are the most powerful socially and aesthetically in entertainment, in 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 film? Oh, the, like the actors. The, the actors. Actresses. Yeah. But they're not the ones that are really the most powerful. Right. The ones that are most powerful are the directors, producers, and then the executives at the studio. studio they control all of that. They're the puppet masters. But if you're a dumbass and you look like, yeah, that guy's got, he's the most powerful one. He's this. He's the, he's the most notable one. But the guy with the soft skills and how to manipulate the equation and adjust things and coordinate things and has the relationships, and it's not the actor. Right. Right. Somebody made that point to me one time in relation to sports. It's like, oh, you think these these athletes out here are making all this money, but somebody's writing their checks, and there's there's always a more powerful force. Yeah, somebody's writing their checks. One and two. It, it, again, context. Like when you think about them playing child's games and getting paid millions of dollars. Right. Like, that's pretty crazy. It really is. Yeah. They, the, 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 like it speaks to like the power of distraction. And I've, in my mind, and then this is just like, if, if I'm like big picture, like, why would somebody want everybody distracted? I mean, it just, just keeps people at, at bay and kind of... With respect to sports. With respect to sport. I would, I would say that, that that is a component, but um, I, I would go deeper. And I would say, if you look at, first of all, tribalism exists. Right. right? We, like, if we're jujitsu dudes or we're Muay Thai dudes, or we're, we're going to kind of flock together because we have a, an ethos, a, a general idea, principle that, that we bond on and mm-hmm. we agree to the general tenets of it. In sports, um, think, about, um, think about this. Think about um, 
the primal connection, right? Like you have this thing, this mission you have to achieve. Like it's it's getting food. It's killing that that rabbit or the squirrel or the deer or the whatever. And that feeds you and that allows you to continue on. Your lineage goes from, from eating, right? If you don't mm-hmm. eat, maybe you go 30 days, maybe you go 90 days and then it's over. So then you got to feed your wife and your kid and everybody else. So that game is connected on a visceral level right. to the the human component that is needed to survive. So generally speaking, in, in austere environments, you need to have a collective. So I need him and I need you and I need this other guy because now i got to fight against this bigger, stronger force, whether it's – and not that dinosaurs existed when humans did, but let's say it's a dinosaur, mm. saber-toothed tiger, whatever it is, I need a team, right? Just like coyotes or, or a similar hunt in packs. So I'm stronger as a team, which is what sports are generally speaking, even though there's individual sports. Right. And then it's there's a combative imp- component to it that allows them to survive or win, and people are connecting to that. There's a team. strong draw to combatives, like just within humans. Yeah, because people generally gravitate toward violence. They like violence. They don't like violence out of context. They don't like violence that doesn't fit. They don't like violence against innocent people. They don't like violence against children. They don't. But as a general rule of thumb, people will go out of their way to watch, to pursue, to, to track violence. Right. Because again, it's it's survival related, right? Because yeah. if, if, if you're capable of violence in the right circumstance, you will live and that other person won't. Right. Not MMA, not jujitsu, not Muay Thai, but in, in real in, life situations. Which is what we're connecting to because now every, this is not true. As a general broad stroke, most people are, especially in America, they have access to food, they have access to water, they have access to shelter, they have access to other people, they have access to communicate. They have all the things that you would normally have to fight to get right. to survive through. Yeah. Right? But they have it. Yeah. It's, it's all there, even at the lowest, lowest level. It's all met. It's all met. So now you have to go to other things to deal with that same feeling, that same visceral level of understanding and kind of what you're drawn to because you don't need that anymore. Like the okay, I get food. Even if I'm on food stamps, I get food. It, water fountain, I can get free water. If right. I, you know, w- whatever it is, if I, even if I need government housing, I, I have some type, it's the lowest level, I have some type of housing in America. Right. Generally speaking, we're not talking about people with extreme mental illness who are homeless, who are living in, not that. That is an anomaly, meaning that is, you know, parts per million, it's parts of, of 1%. So, right. But generally speaking, people are going to be drawn to that thing that connects most with their survival. Right? Yeah. And that, that's it, fighting is that. Yeah, it really is. And like kind of uh, like backtracking to the soft skills, like I'm thinking like it's it's a lot of it like it's just observing situations and paying attention to the details and, and just because we talked about anomalies, right, where you, in the book especially talked about like creating a baseline and then seeing what, what, it, what is and isn't an anomaly and just having that, that, that ability to actually like scan your environment and, and pay attention to the details and what is and isn't off. Yeah, it's it's all there. The the thing that I love to hear from people is like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't. And think about if yeah. you think about jujitsu or boxing or muay thai or wrestling or any yeah. combat sport, there, there's a chain, there's a sequence of events that occur. And in order to get to that submission or that knockout or whatever, yeah. some things had to fail along the way. And so when those variables are allowed to unfold you get to that point where the bad thing happens. Yeah. But when you get to a higher level, you start to take away his ability to do something or move a certain place at the same time you're attacking. Yeah. So now I'm operating on two planes at the same time. Yeah. I'm stopping you from getting what you want, right? And I'm also getting what I want. So I'm, I'm, I'm chalking your hips so you can't scoot back and create space to get your shin in. And now I'm attacking your throat. And I'm doing both of those simultaneously. Right. And in order for you to defend, you need to scoot your hips back, but I'm blocking them. In order you, now if you start to put your hands up here, now I'm passing. So... Again, 
same same context, same concept, right? Yeah. Like manipulation of those variables. If I understand what the baseline is, I understand what normalcy is. I know what I need to do to, to retain that. Yeah. And if I see an anomaly, I know what I need. Okay, that's a potential problem. So we have two types of anomalies. Benign anomalies, which most of the time when we're working on the street, they're, they're benign. They're not going to hurt us. And critical ones, ones that can hurt us. And then when they cluster or they go in groups of three, that typically means high probability. Yeah, so then bad. you need to change your behavior. You need to uh, continue on as planned if you're not going to change your behavior or yeah. cancel completely what you're doing in GTFO, mm. right? I'm not going to lie. Like, as I was reading, um, I felt kind of proud. I've always kind of um, considered myself, like, very protection mindset. And I, I've learned I've learned just certain things, whether through sport or just kind of life. Like, the, one of my number one principles is, like, keep your head on the swivel. So when I read that in there, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm on the right track. I learned that because, on like, in high school on the football field, if you're not keeping your head on the swivel, you'll get blindsided. And, like, pain is a very valuable teacher. Absolutely. So I'm I, a dumbass, so I learned the same way. <laughs> so right? I'm just like, dude, keep your head in a swivel, and then, like, hesitation kills. I don't remember where I heard that, but I live by it. Yeah. I'm very decisive in yeah. my decision-making. Be- because there's there's action versus reaction, right? And, yeah. And, and hesitation essentially is, is a delayed reaction. Yeah. And almost always, 99 plus percent of the time, you're going to lose reacting because it's slower than action. Yeah. And then a delayed reaction is even worse. So you, you never coming out of the box. It's like, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Do you think like just a lot of people are just living in like a very complacent state? Yeah. Because we even again, in context, after having been to 147 countries, I have something to compare America to. Like I can run around and say America is the best, whatever, but I've never left America. It's really kind of meaningless. Yeah. I've been in those places. I've lived in those places. I've fought in those places. I've, I've, I've worked in those places. I've done charity in those places. What we have here in particular is so good. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea of, of, we're so disconnected from reality. Yeah. Yeah. People say like first world problems and like, Oh, but like it's, it's real. We we have champagne problems. Like, Oh man, my champagne's non-vintage. Oh, my champagne's warm. Oh my champagne. Like, are you seriously? That's, that's your issue. That's your problem. Like we can't fill the jobs we have. Like that's your problem. Yeah. Dude, yeah, it, 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 with with like your background in travel and all of the shit that you've seen, like I'm sure, like it's, it's definitely put like things in a, a much um, like sharper perspective for you. Um, so I want to kind of back up a little bit and kind of I don't know, maybe qualify. You want to start? Things. Yeah, are, we can. Are, are we starting? Or are we bullshitting? Both. You you all, got some bullshitting now. Now you've got some content on. Yeah, top no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're still going, man. So, um, but it, I'm I, I I love this conversation because like. For me, being a part of Team Vagi, I started with, with Rogers back in, like, 99. And um, and so it's like I'm sitting down with, like, the myth, the legend that is Todd Fox. <laughs> because um, I, don't, I don't know how you – like, I guess if there's, like, generations within our team. I don't know. I'm maybe, like, the third generation maybe somewhere in there. Um, and, I mean, with – you were off in the world doing your thing and – just over the years, oh man, you think such and such is a tough guy? You should roll with Todd Fox. He has all the he has all the pressure, just so much pressure. He feels like he's four hundred pounds. So it's just like so many like cool ass sto- stories throughout the year. I was like, oh man, I'm sitting down with the legend. Lucky me, man. That, that's very <laughs> kind of those guys. Well, you've done so much. So let's kind of like start at the beginning. Like, have you always like been an athlete like your entire life? Have you always kind of 
Yeah, know, I, I don't towards physical uh, things. In 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 fairness, yes, I'm an athlete. I don't know that I'm super athletic. I've yeah. always I've always endured through like repetition, mm-hmm. just being in it and pushing and grinding and just keep going, keep going, keep going, so that I could get on par with guys who are true athletes. But yeah, I played baseball, I played football, I wrestled, I did karate. Okay. Those things existed prior to. Jiu-Jitsu. So you've been competing, and I kind of had that drive for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know. I always competed because that's kind of how we do sports, right? Right. Baseball, football, wrestling. Right. We competed, but um, I like when it came to jujitsu and um, MMA at the time, NHB. Um, I I didn't do it for competition purposes. Just to be very clear, like I did it because I I thought of it always in in terms of like fighting, like a street fighting, not in terms of a point competition. But but yeah, I've always been involved in athletics. Um, luckily for me. Because it, it kept me kind of focused and kept me out of some trouble. And if you talk to Rogers, it didn't keep me out of all trouble, but, but some of it. So. Oh, man. Hal, Hal will tell some stories for sure. And Hal, it, me and Hal together is a really bad thing back in the day. Now, not so much. Now we're old and gray and fat and stuff. But He yeah. just sits around and drinks wine all day these days. Hey, I like it. I like his style. It's not a bad way to go. No. But so in the beginning, it was just about, you know, sh- like, you know, improving on your skills. It's about facing the challenge, right? Yes. It's about the big, big fan of the challenge like I'm, I'm uncomfortable like i know that i'm uncomfortable i don't like this feeling i want to change it yeah so how did you come across like Rodrigo Vagi and jiu-jitsu uh i was in the marine corps and uh, one of the secondary du- duties what they call a b billet uh, a secondary job to your primary function in the military is recruiting duty so you you have like three or four options and where you go and what you do and that that happened to be mine because i wanted to be home and i was doing karate and um one day a school popped up next to the, literally next to the recruiting stage. So if you look at Rodrigo's first school, it was on Manchester at 141. Okay. And um, literally next door was this place. And I was teaching karate at the time. And um, I had talked to my instructor who was, he was an old school dude, really great dude, great mentor, really invested in, in my development and our team collectively. Like all the guys that came up under him are all very successful guys. And they didn't start with any particular advantage other than having good mentors, good family, stuff like that. So he's, it's a, Hey man, this school popped up and, um, it's a, it's a Gracie jiu-jitsu school, you know, like Hoist Gracie from the UFC. And this is only like two years after Hoist's first fight. Okay. So this is like, like 95. Yeah. Like that time. So this just popped up. And he's like, well, I guess we know where you'll be training. <laughs> like, it's like, you, you need to go there and learn that. Like yeah. I, I've taught you a lot of stuff over the years, um, but I can't teach you that. And right. that skill obviously is great. It works. It's unique. And right now it's not readily available. And in the Midwest, it wasn't, you know, it was in California, New York, but not in the Midwest. Right. And so, um, a guy that I was working with in the Marine Corps had talked to Rodrigo and met him, very friendly guy who had also come from uh, military combatives, a, a system called line fighting. It's, it's, it's archaic now, but, um, he said, yeah, I'll take you over and, and I'll introduce him. So he introduced me to Rodrigo. And I say, hey, man, I do this and that. And he's like, okay, okay. And Rodrigo didn't speak much English at the time, so it was very rudimentary kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, come over whenever you want. And and I was working probably 16-hour days, six mm. days a week. So I didn't get a lot of time. But finally, I, I made some time with the guys I was working with. They said, we got you. Go go train. And uh, I went over to train with Rodrigo. And he's like, buddy, <laughs> buddy, not train with me, buddy, train with my guys. And that, I, I'll never forget it. Like I can hear this in my head over yeah. and over again. And then I, I, um, BJ, I don't know if you know BJ Copeland. I, I know of BJ Copeland. I've never actually trained with him. So BJ's a brown belt. He's been training since before me. And, um, BJ was like, 
I don't know if he was 17 or something. Like he was a kid. <laughs> and, uh, and BJ just commenced to whoop in my ass. It was the most embarrassing. Like, literally swallow your pride. Like, yeah. So, of course, at that point, I was like, okay, I know what I got to do. I got to suck it up and, and train yeah. with this guy because this is the real deal. It's humbling. It's very humbling in the beginning. I don't I don't even think that it's appropriate adjective, but it, it's beyond that. Like, it, it's... I say almost demeaning. It's not just humbling. Like, it's like, holy shit. I really have no idea. You don't know what you don't know. Right. And then when you, you have a lot of positive feedback in what you're doing, if it's wrestling or boxing or uh, karate at the time for me, and you're winning and you're like, I was in the Marine Corps and doing smokers and beating all the guys, even the guys that had come from boxing. But I got here, man, I just got manhandled. So it's yeah. like you, you swallow your pride. And yes, it, it's humbling. But it's really almost demeaning because you have no options. You have no solution. You really have to uh, look introspectively and say, what would I do if this yeah. happened to me outside of a controlled environment? Yeah. It was it was um, an eye-opener. And, and I'm sure, you know, most jiu-jitsu guys have had that experience to some degree. Unless they're like a D1, you know, wrestling champ and coming in and able to, to control that stuff. But for the most part, for normal humans like me, yeah, that, that's like a... Sp- Wake up, boy. Same here. Same here. I had a little bit of high school wrestling, a little bit at Lindenwood, so like like my first year in college, but that none of that matters. Whenever you're like you're you're putting your your weight in the wrong place, or you know you're putting all your energy because a lot of wrestlers just put their head down and yep. go forward, and that's yep. just a good way to get triangled or guillotined or yeah, swept, or you're gonna lose your positioning for yeah, sure. And that's the stuff that I was doing because I had a wrestling background. I was doing to BJ and like bam triangle, bam triangle, <laughs> like, shit. and you can't really because you don't know it, you don't understand the techniques, and you haven't had a lot of exposure to it. Yeah, like trying to figure it out on the fly is very difficult. And so as as a wrestler, as a marine, it's not just need to drive harder i need to yep. push more i need to, okay yep. uh, actually nothing's changing so that's not the solution yeah you're like you're living in the definition of insanity at that it, point. absolutely you're just repeating the same thing expecting something's going to change and that's kind of when you got to slow down back off and be like holy shit what just happened how did it happen how do i change this what do i do and um and i've talked about this before in other podcasts but you you literally go from like helpless, don't know what's going on to, right. okay, I can understand what's going on. Okay. Now I do understand what's going on and I'm still getting caught, but I'm trying to throw a wedge in there before it gets to that final point. And now I can stop it. And then maybe I can stop it and try to advance. And then maybe I can stop it, advance and get something. Yeah. It's like these slow incremental phases that occur. And then as you mentioned earlier today, you have these, these phases or these generations that come up. And so as those generations come up, like, you know, with, with the all rising tides, all ships rise and rise. And so as you know, that's happening, the guys are coming up and right. they're lifting you because the guys below you. are getting better. Yep. Yeah. The game is definitely, or just the, the whole art as a whole is just, it's way different today. than I'm sure it was when you started. It's, it's both better and worse. And I, and I say that from my personal opinion and that, it's much more complicated and guys are much better and they have more tools to pull from. Um, but also at the same time, we've, we've kind of lost the plot a little bit too. Like right. we're looking more at points and we're looking at positions that really would get you, get you murdered in a street fight. Right. So, you try to bear and bowl. Yeah. <laughs> like you invert and do bear and bowl. And like that, that doesn't correlate to fighting. And right. the reason, as you know, I'm sure the reason that the, points that are awarded for each specific position is simply because of the value of that position in a street fight. Right. Which is why if you get the back, it's four points. If you get the mount, it's four points, right? Right. Two points means you get taken to the ground, but if you're a jiu-jitsu guy, that's the start of the fight for you. So, you know, 
those points were rewarded based on that. And right. now we start to get away from that into these other things that would literally lead you down the wrong path. And that's not including knives and guns and baseball bats and multiple opponents and stuff like that. I think that's a dangerous thing. But when you look at the raw access to information now that didn't exist 25 years ago. Right. Um, first of all, social media didn't exist, and nobody had a cell phone at the time that would connect to the internet. The internet existed, but it it was dial-up speed, and and uh, you know, so really getting anything took forever in a day. You certainly didn't have videos that you could access. YouTube didn't exist, right? Um, and now guys are accessing all those things and then developing things, and people are going quicker. And now they have this group of guys who are white belts and blue belts and purple belts and brown belts and black belts and one stripe and two stripe and three stripe and you got right. now these six seven eight degree black belts and right. when when rogers and i came up you know to be quite frank like a a blue belt or a especially a purple belt was a deity like yeah it was it was a level like you couldn't wrap your head around what it took to get to that level like that guy <laughs> right and now it's a yeah. joke because we have so many purple belts around and we had a class the other day uh you know it was like me rodrigo uh rob Ayers. like we had like six black belts in the room and like all of them had stripes and yeah like that would make my mind explode if you told me that 25 years right. ago like that that there are humans capable of those things and that we could have multiple black belts right. in a room like there's, and now it's just readily accessible there's i mean there's black belts out there you're included like who have been a black belt longer than a lot of people have been training. Yeah. And it's like, if that doesn't blow your mind, we have a guy um, who trains a lot with us. His name is Marcel Fortuna. And um, I think he got his black belt in, I think like two, 2008 or 2009. So literally as long as I've been training, he's been a black belt and he either won like every major world cha like championship um, at Brown belt. And um, just, just the sheer amount of time that some people have into the sport or, or any discipline it's like, man, like you really just don't know what you're dealing with sometimes. Yeah, it can be very complex. Yeah, yeah. So were you were you bit by like the the bug, if you will, where it's yeah, like you once wanted to away, just <laughs> once I swallowed my pride and kind of understood. And you also have to take into consideration kind of the the time and Rodrigo not um, not really understanding that he was running a business. Like yeah. he treated it as if it was like a fight club. Um, <laughs> and so once I kind of figured all that stuff out. Um, then it was like, I'm doing this every day. And in yeah. fact, you can talk to Rodrigo about this. Like if there was a day that I wasn't going to train, I would call him and say, Hey, I can't make it in today. So it was like just an expectation mm -hmm. that you'd be there. And I'm sure you heard about this, but like in the old days, if you were a minute late or two minutes late to class, you would basically get worn out for 30 to 40 minutes before he would let you start class. Oh wow. So dudes, you should ask Rogers about this. Yeah, so dudes would, would pull up and they'd park their car and they'd be walking in and they'd look at the time. And if it was a minute past, <laughs> they'd turn around, get back in their car and leave. And that happened all the time. <laughs> Hal will tell you about that too, man. And so it, it was a very different time. But once I figured out kind of how it worked and what I was doing and what I needed to do to get better, man, it was done. Like it, that was my job. As far yeah. as I was concerned, once I was done with whatever I was doing with the Marines, I was coming next door and I was training. Even then, if I was going to run late, I'd get a break. I'd go over there. I wouldn't take a lunch or a dinner or anything. I'd go over there and train. And so, yes, it was it was it was definitely jujitsu bug done. And I'm sure you know, especially especially white and blue belt in particular. But like you, where you literally you can't stop thinking about it. Right? Yeah. Like it's just it's on your mind. Positions are on your mind. Angles are on your mind. How a guy did something. How you could do something. And it's just like constant. Like Always. it's just. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like a lust. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's crazy because you're, you're just, you're uh, infatuated or obsessed with it. And right. Especially maybe white to, to purple. By the time, 
you know, you get to purple, you kind of understand it better and you have a frame right. of reference stuff. But like, you're just a voracious consumer of the content of jujitsu and, right. and, and every component of it. So yeah. yes, I, I got bit by the bug and you know, I'm still here 26 years later. So yeah. And is, is there, is there like any team or, um, maybe like training sessions? Cause you've been like, I've, I've imagined you've trained jujitsu all over the world and went to a numerous, like numerous amounts of schools. Is there anything that kind of like, or any place that like really like sticks out in your mind as like a really good place that you enjoy training? Um, if I have to pick one place of all the places I've been and in, in, in this case, it's a place I've been repeatedly is Henzo's. I mean, Henzo's. I really, I love training Henzo's. Um, they're, they're not smashing in your face unless you get to competition, but yeah. they're good. They help people. It's a huge class. You've got all levels, you've got all age groups, you've got, you know, like even, <laughs> Hensos is a unique thing in New York because that that's a, a really a significant mix. But like, you know, uh, I remember going in there one time where there are these guys fighting, and I thought they were actually fighting about to get into a fight. But it's it's a Jewish guy and a Muslim guy. And they're like going at it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. And everybody's kind of laughing, and I'm like, man, they're really light about this stuff. But those guys had always had the thing, but they were friends, and they they built that rapport. So there's there's that component of it. There's the level, like I mean, you know, the guys that have come out of Henzo's, like you yeah. go in the room, and yeah. even 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 Danaher, John used to have really long hair, and now he's obviously shaved bald and wears his fanny pack and stuff like that. But uh, that level of instruction, um, if you look at the level of fighters that have come out of there, I mean. The last time that I was in there, even though he's not competing anymore, GSP was in there, mm-hmm. and you you you'd have every level of guy, right? And everybody's training together, yeah. And uh, you know, and then you go upstairs, and they're doing Muay Thai, and I mean, it's just it's a very family oriented group, but they're training at the highest level, and their mm-hmm. attention to detail and technique is phenomenal. Yeah, um, they're intense when they want to be intense. They back off and adjust to kind of who they're do- going with, and it's hard to find because usually when I travel, I find a gym that's either super docile and we're just going to talk and trade techniques and look at this and then and you go to the other gym and it's like when i walk through the door the fight's on like they're coming after me to kill me they're gonna <laughs> rip my head off whether they know me or don't know me they don't care yeah and they're they're going nuts yeah and so they're kind of a blend of the two okay and and that's unique i mean yeah. we've in the old days this school was very much like that they just smash everybody that came in it was very very aggressive mm-hmm. and then now it's transitioned more to more welcoming more like a, a business and more yeah. friendly and you know talk to people and then adjust to kind of what they bring with them yeah yeah i think um like whenever i go to like mount vernon to train with like pedago and those mm-hmm. guys that that's what i think of like that real smash but it doesn't matter if you're friends or not you could be a visitor they're gonna go that hard but um i hear these stories about Rodrigo, and i feel like i caught like you know how like when when kids are like my grandma and grandpa is so nice like what are you talking right. about mom and dad like i feel like i got like the softer version of hadri you you 100 <laughs> percent. let me just uh, because he's so nice <laughs> he's a super nice dude and he's he's a good human and yeah. he's a great dad and he's a great teacher um but you didn't get the other hodrigo at all you right. trust me you didn't even get a taste of it yeah um, the first three years in particular man I think part of it was you're in a new country. You kind of don't know what is normal there. And then you're building up these fighters. And and keep in mind that at the time, you know, his guys were not centralized like where he was in West County. Um, They were coming from everywhere else Mm. to him. And so he was getting some very tough guys. And like, you got to keep that shit in check. (laughs) And so he was, he was (laughs) on a dog. Yeah. Plus he had just come from Umaita. Um, in the early days and they were training very intensely and I'm sure even there now it's changed a bit, you know, because it's about money and it's not just about fight clubs. Different time. But yeah, he was very intense. He was very focused. He took, he didn't take no for an answer. Even though he was, 
um, our family and we were his family, there was a lot of intensity to everything. Yeah. And, um, and now he's much more laid back, much more relaxed, uh, much more understanding of the totality of the situation. Um, so, you know, I, I feel actually fortunate that I got to see that first part because that changes who you are and that changes how you fight and it changes how you, you look at things. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. being forged in the fire. Yes. And, yeah. and and Rogers will tell you and Hal will tell you, like, you know, the early days, it was always like a competition practice. Yeah. Every practice was a competition practice. Okay, 100 arm bars from the mountain, 100 arm bars in the garden, 100 triangles. Okay, you know, just really intense focus. You didn't talk. There was no music. You didn't, like, you nothing. Yeah. It was just constant and intense training, which was great. The downside is, you know, 80 to 90% of the people that came in left. Yeah, like, the, you didn't retain students. Especially I mean, in West County. <laughs> especially, like, he didn't keep anybody from West County. I mean, it was like, Gidry and I had originated there, and I don't remember where we were living at the time, but in any case, you know, anybody else from West County came in, they're gone. Like, yeah. it, retention was maybe a matter of, of training sessions, like three or four training sessions. Maybe if they're a little bit tougher, a couple weeks, you know, and then there were really tough guys the last couple of months, but, like, for the years, like, forget it's about nothing. it. No, man, no, he, he was just too intense. Like, guys were puking every class. Guys were getting hurt. Every, like, it, it was just a different, it was a different time, a different mindset. And it was, it was perfect because that was a great segue into uh, NHB or MMA, Right, because right, the, right. the training for us was so much harder than the actual. The fights were nothing, yeah. like literally nothing. So he he was doing the right thing. Um, you know, it, it wasn't maybe the best thing for business, but it was the best thing for us. Right. I, I I can't speak for Rogers and I can't speak for for Hal, but uh, I think they would agree with that. Yeah. Well, it seems like I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, it, it laid like the foundation to to grow. It's like you do you want to grow fast or do you want to grow with like quality? type of deal yes so it's like quality over quantity for sure 100 percent. so how did so you, i mean that was in st louis right that was here yep, was um right. but at, there's a certain point where you like you left st louis right i did the so military took you away correct so i went to la um and i i worked in the marine corps on active duty in what was called the lapao or the motion picture liaison for the marine corps and basically the reason I, I took that job out there um, was so that I could do that specific function. And then the bonus to that was Hickson was in L.A. So yeah. I didn't have to leave jiu-jitsu at all. In fact, I just went with my instructor's instructor. Right. And so it was kind of a cool gig. I was still in the Marines. I got to do, you know, work in the film industry, which, you know, from Missouri. Come on, <laughs> dude. Like, you're just not normal. Yeah, that's crazy um, to think about. You know, outside of Brad Pitt, who came from Missouri. But, right. but like, that's just <laughs> such an anomaly. So I got that. I got the. I stayed in the Marines. I got the the exposure to entertainment, and then I got to train with Hickson directly. So that was such a, a cool transition. But yeah, so that was in the late '90s. Moved out there, lived there. Um, my roommate at the time was a guy who pretty much most people in Jiu-Jitsu know now, a guy named Henry Akins, mm -hmm. and Henry's making videos and doing seminars and all that kind of stuff um, now. So all the guys that came up. Also there at that time, all did exceptionally well in jujitsu and in life. So it's kind of cool because, like we talked about that, that forging in the fire, yeah, it really develops something in a person. Yeah, you know, yeah, you have a special time in a special place. Are you, um, are you like a 
like a believer or like into like like just like the law of attraction like like the energy that you put out and kind of like how you carry yourself and yeah i've read it to some degree i mean i'm not oh. a firm follower believer yeah. but i i think there are true components to yeah. that and and those would be examples of that yeah that's what, that's kind of what came to mind because it's just like um i was listening to like I, I think it was the clear hot podcast where you're telling the story it's like oh well i moved out to la and i ended up finding like a group of friends very similar ones in st louis yeah. so in my mind i'm just like man it's like you're just attracted to very like like minded people and it's like yes. it's just weird how that works sometimes yeah it, it 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 happens and you don't necessarily know exactly why you might not be able to articulate exactly right. why but you feel it yeah. and you can sense things that you don't know you're sensing and and now all of a sudden you're making decisions um and and yeah i'm, I'm absolutely positive that that's the case there yeah yeah and, it's, and a lot of that because i guess i'm like connecting dots it's like you have that ability or maybe like that that understanding or awareness and then you like tie that in with protection it's just like paying attention to the details and like listening to your gut and just like listening to all the little subtle cues in life um so when when you moved out to uh to la and like now you're you're in hollywood is that is that where the transition into ep came executive protection or um, like, when does that come into yeah play kind of it, not exactly that, but that okay. was the opening, right? Because okay. you had a bunch of people that were high profile, whether they were executives or whether they were film or music or whatever. There were a bunch of people. There was a pool. You know, in Missouri, we don't really have a pool of people that would need that. Even the the, the football players and baseball players and basketball players in this area, they don't use it, right? right? This is a low profile area and it's not a big deal. But out there, it's different. And it's also, I think, too, in LA, probably a big part of it is a status symbol. Like if you're significant, you got protection. Mm. So that's a component. But yes and no. So I was out there and I happened to be asked for all the wrong reasons to do protection. Like, okay, you speak Spanish and you are a fighter, so therefore you can protect me. And what that's else do you need, bro. <laughs> in their mind, <laughs> in their mind that's the case but yeah it was it was not really so i had to hurry up and figure out what lessons i had in the marine corps that i could take and translate and or there are a lot because in the marine corps even at the most basic level every marine's a rifleman and they have what are called general orders and how they do business and all that's related to security so i had a lot to start with but then i had to start reading and checking stuff out and doing some training because i started taking these people down to mexico and mm. Mexico is a very different environment from the U.S. Um, and so I had to adapt to that environment, figure out how I could implement uh, my techniques that I was trained in there in that environment. Um, and, and, you know, the learning curve is super steep. So um, one of the first times I was down there, um, we had gone into a place, a restaurant, and we came out of the restaurant. And this is Baja Norte. This is the north part of the Baja Peninsula. Okay. And we come out, and there's a cop doing this, writing a ticket. And I'm like, Okay, walk over to him and in Spanish ask him, you know, why he's writing to you. You don't have plates. You don't have plates in the car. You go to the back, no plates. You go to the front, no plates. Hmm. Well, when I came here, I had plates. And so he's writing his ticket, whatever, hands me a ticket, goes back to his car. And, and, it, and it takes me a second because this is a very different realm than the U.S. Yes. And as much as people complain about policing in the U.S., <laughs> they need to have exposure to other places. So I'm thinking about, son of a bitch. So finally, it, it dawns on me, like, the most probable scenario, the first thing that occurs is like somebody stole my plates and they're putting them on cars, right? Mm -mm. Most probable scenario is he took he my took plates. So I go over, he's at his patrol car. I go over and I say, how much? And he's like, the equivalent, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. I give him 20 bucks. And then he takes the ticket, rips it up, whatever. And I'm like, what about my plates? He's like, and so the shrug of the shoulder is like, okay, I know you got my plates because you took the 20 bucks. I, I know you got my plates. 
So I just pull another 20 bucks, hand it to him. He reaches into his patrol car, grabs the plates front and back, and hands me back the plates. Like, like the, nothing. <laughs> there was no shame. There was zero shame. Like, this is just how I do business. This is how it is. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, it, and they call it the bite, right? So especially, look, I'm, I'm a white guy. I'm in this place. I stand out. Certainly white equates to money and, and, and riches. And therefore, you know, I'm just going to take a little piece of that. Yeah. And so I had to learn all of those kinds of things in those environments. Yeah. Um, and so there was a steep learning curve. So I learned that. Uh, I'd go back to L.A. and I'd have all these little collection of experiences like that that didn't occur in the United States. And then I met locals and then I develop locals and then, okay, I meet you and you say you're a security guy or you're a military guy or you're a fighter or whatever. And then we work on how we operate together and how we communicate and what's right and what's not right. And then I have a team now and then you have a buddy and then we train him up. And then now I got two Mexican local nationals there that I mm-hmm. use and I keep going back with different people for different causes, whether it's entertainment or it's an executive or they're shooting a film down there or they're whatever it is. And, right. and so over time we started doing that and then eventually i transitioned to work for uh like music tours and then we we started doing literally the same formula but in different countries all yeah. over. yeah and and then we end up today like 20 some odd 25 years later or something um and now we have a worldwide network we have a network that's very strong everywhere and that's that's kind of how the business works right? dude mexico mexico is dangerous dude so um yeah, so I was talking to some guys today, and people don't understand in context how dangerous St. Louis is, right? So in St. Louis, we have 66 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants, right? So everything's based in that form, off per 100,000. Okay. So when you go down the list, um, St. Louis in the world, outside of war zones, meaning outside of Syria, outside of Iraq, outside of Afghanistan, outside of Yemen, outside of these places, is the 15th most dangerous city in the world. Oh. Now, here's how it goes. Mexico, Mexico, Brazil, Venezuela, Brazil, Mexico, Mexico, Brazil, Venezuela, and then bam, St. Louis. Wow. So I'll send that to you. I'll send you a thing. Just kind of, oh, shit. Um, but it's, it's a pretty uh, steep slope because you start at like 112 homicides per 100,000, and then you drop down. And this is something else to kind of take in. The city above St. Louis is in Sinaloa. It's called Culiacan. Culiacan, Sinaloa, is the home of the Sinaloa cartel. Mm. And it's at 70 homicides per 100,000. Now, of course, there's p- missing people, and that's, you know. Missing person isn't a murder. Correct. <laughs> so we know, we know that. But when you look at the numbers, St. Louis is at 66 wow. per 100,000. Culiacan, Sinaloa is at 70. So that kind of gives you a rough idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're not hearing about African co- countries. You're not hearing about Southeast Asian countries. You're not hearing about, yeah. you're hearing about Latin countries. And then, bam, St. Louis. St. So, Louis. Is so, that yeah. St. Louis City? Like, is that, is that where the, the proper city is? Yeah, so when you look at like 300 plus. Which makes it even plus, smaller area. Well, but it's all per 100,000. So the, it, it's, it's, it's per capita. Okay. So it's, it's, it's apples to apples, oranges to oranges. It's not total. Like if we looked at something like that, maybe Chicago would smash us. But when we look yeah. at the total population right, per capita, per capita, yeah. we have a much higher rate of violence. Right. Yeah. Man, that's, that's insane to think about. It is. That's cause it is. I, I feel like it's, it's again, you just get complacent and you feel like, Oh, you mm-hmm. know, St. Louis, especially like being in the County, yes. you just feel like, Oh, it's not that bad, but it's not that but the thing far is, away. Sure, it's crime all, is transient. It, it it's not blends. like a person's stuck. Like, oh, I'm a criminal. I'm stuck right here. Right. Like, and, and if I deplete the resources in this environment, yeah. am I, am I going to stay here? No, because I need resources. So I go to the community with the resources and I deplete those resources. Right. And I go to the next community. Right. And so, you know, um, 
St. Louis, yeah. things are moving around now, and you see a lot more of that, right? But um, Danger's that, everywhere. Danger's everywhere, right? You don't get to pick and choose. Like, let's say a murder happens there only one time in, over the course of, of 30 years, but you're that murder. Right. It doesn't matter how often it happened. Or it's your, your, your family member or your friend or the, the, yeah. the statistics or ratio – is irrelevant if you're the one, if you are. So of course you can't let your guard down. And, and, uh, as you know, from the book, we talk about operating, you know, in the yellow. And so we're aware, we're paying attention. As you mentioned, your head on a swivel, you know, what's going on in your environment. It doesn't change anything for me in terms of like my energy level. I still am operating with the same blood pressure, the same heart rate. I'm still calm. I'm still thinking, I'm still moving. I'm doing my business. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not panicked. Right. I'm prepared. I'm, I'm ready. Oh, if you come across the room and start punching, I'm good. Right. I'm, I, I got it. You know? I feel like when you're calm because you do have that, like you're like, oh, like I know what could happen or you're aware. That actually deters a lot of situations because I always, I, I have my heart, like I have the hardest time wrapping my mind around how people will be like in a bar and I know it happens and somebody will pick a fight with them. It's like, well, I've never had that experience. And I mean, I know it fucking happens, but it's just like, what is it about certain people that's like, man, I'm going to come up and kick your ass. Cause I've never had anybody yeah. come up to I, me and do that. Uh, well, you're not a small dude. Yeah. Right. Um, so you're a POC, you got facial hair. Like when you just think about what a person's interpretation is of that, forget yeah. about all this bullshit, but just think about it. Okay. Versus, and I'll give you an example. And Rogers will tell you about this. I, I, I won't tell this on camera, <laughs> but you can ask, you can ask Rogers. So we're in a bar on the landing. Um, oddly enough, Rob Stone ends up owning that bar okay. down the road. Um, not at the time. And we're there and we're with a bunch of county kids and um, it's me and another fighter and, and Mike's there and Mike, Mike's the voice of reason. And <laughs> we get some bikers that come in and my buddy at the time who's over there, who's on our team, who's a MMA fighter. Um, he's, he's got flip flops on and you know, we're talking to whatever. And another guy comes over and says, Hey, these guys, every time I order beer, keep taking the beer. Well, the kid that's saying it, it's like wearing a polo and khaki <laughs> pants and, and he's, he's small. He's an easy target yeah. and these bikers know it. Right. And so they keep taking his beer. Thanks bro. Take his beer. <laughs> so after the third time he comes to us because he, he knows we fight and mm -hmm. Hey man, you know, is there anything you do? So we go over and they're like, Hey guys, you, that's not nice. You take his beers. Like you, you shouldn't be taking his beers. We don't want a problem. So just, you've had the beers now you're done. Yeah. And of course they took that as weakness and said, okay, you're letting us have those beers that we stole from you and you're not fighting for it. We're okay. We see that as weakness. So the first thing the guy does is say, Oh, nice flip flops fag boy. And now he says this to a guy who at the time, I think he was just getting ready to go in the UFC uh, at the time, you know, he had maybe 20 or 30 professional NHB fights and was, was transitioning to the UFC. And he said, Oh, you like those? Oh, do you want to go outside and talk about them? <laughs> and, and the biker is like, yeah, let's go out there. And he tells his other biker buddies and, and we end up outside. And these guys are exchanging punches and it's, it's intense. But I'm sure he didn't expect the guy in the flip-flops and khakis to be fighting with him like that. Right. And then I'm dealing with the other guy and we're fighting and we end up on the floor, on the floor, on the ground. And, uh, you know, I got kicked in the face. He ended up uh, in kind of an omoplata position. And Rogers, Rogers is pushing this our teammate back so he doesn't break this guy's shoulder. Oh, and um, and I'm dealing with this guy and he's down on the ground mounted, punching his face. And their third buddy comes up <laughs> with steel-toed boots and 
Shin kicks me, oh, but shit. only through sheer luck, not anything I did. Through sheer luck, he smokes me in the forehead, Ooh, not in the in the yeah, jaw. That's fortunate. And then For yes, real. and then I chased him down and and uh, and executed an <laughs> armbar from the mount on him. <laughs> and uh, and Steve Guidry um, came, his Brian's brother, mm-hmm. uh, came and, and saved my ass when when the police arrived. But. Um, the, the point of the story, right, is that people look for a, a weaker target. They're not looking for the strongest, hardest target, right? Yeah. They're looking for a weaker target. And so usually they scan and assess, and they start to look at stuff. And, and I don't know why they pick certain things like, oh, if he's big, right, he's dangerous. That's not true. You know that. I know that. Right. Oh, uh, he's black or he's some other ethnicity. He's dangerous. That's not true. It doesn't yeah. change anything with our physicality and what we can do. Right. Um, he's got facial hair. He's, he's mean. Or he's got, he's got tattoos, <laughs> tattoos. Or he's bald. Or, you know, he's got yeah. cauliflower ears. Or like you're in Mexico. He's, he's a white guy. He's a gringo. Easy target. Like there's always these sure, things that sure. you can and pick that's out. How, yeah, and that's how they think. And so they find that. And also I think, too, a lot of times if I let you have something or I do something or I say I'm sorry to you, you assume that as weakness and they mm. smell blood. And when they smell the blood, here they come, yeah. especially people that are looking for it, right? So, you know, in the early days, um, we had a lot of fights. And, and I don't know what you've heard. <laughs> heard a few things. Tracy Taylor's told me a couple things. There were a lot of fights. And um, especially even before Tracy, there were tons Probably of fights. Probably more. And, and um, part of that was not us starting fights. I, I have to say that wasn't the case. But the refusal to walk away from it when mm-hmm. we should have. Yeah. And then when we started walking away from her, turning down, whatever, it kept happening. Why? Because people see that as weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. Some people interpret that as I can't fight or I'm afraid of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's not the case. And and that's a beautiful option to be able to tell me you don't want to fight and to, to walk away. But then if they pursue you to have the skill set to deal with it when they do decide to attack you. Right. That's, yeah, that's the bigger lesson. But, but, but you're right. There's no correlation to what a person's skills are and, and yeah. them being, you know, a good person to attack. Not that anybody's good to attack. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm sure there's, there's definitely times where, I mean, just people won't let you disengage from the situation. Absolutely. absolutely. Usually as I find, see with more gray hair, with more wrinkles, um, you, you find that people are, are a little bit more forgiving. They're a little bit more kind of uh, not willing to engage with somebody of a certain age. Um, and and you, you get, you know, a free card on that one. Like mm-hmm. if you disengage, they let you go. But young guys against young guys, I don't Never. see it, man. Now, at least in our time. You know, I'm yeah. past that point now because I'm trying like hell to avoid all these fights now. But um, no, in our time. Yeah. You know, I can't speak to why people didn't come after you but i'm guessing and also probably you're you're confident and then probably you're holding your shoulders in a certain way and probably you're what whatever things are that they see is strong right and i'm not going to attack what's strong right so yeah. as a rule of thumb people attack weaker people right they right. look for the weakest easiest victim and um this gets into the book stuff but that is not just with people that's with physical things. So think about your house. If your house is on a hill, it's harder to get up to. Uh, if your house has l- really good lighting, chance of a criminal getting caught is higher. If your house has good locks, it's harder to break into. Uh, if you have cameras around, if you have a dog. If, so all these things make it a harder target. And then what's the criminal do? They find the easier target. Right. right? They find the house that's softer, that doesn't have those locks. It doesn't have those lights. It doesn't have that alarm. It doesn't have the dog. It doesn't yeah. have and I think people are the same. So they're scanning, assessing, and looking, and like, oh, no, he's going to be easier than you are. I'm going to go that way. Right, yeah. There used to be this show um, I watched in high school. It was, uh, 
it takes this is called it takes a thief. And what it, what they would do is they had these two thieves who were like really good at robbing homes and stuff. And then they would they would pick these targets and then they would like go in and completely wipe them the fuck out. Because they're like, look, you're weak here. You left the second floor window open. That's the first like first floor like door for some people. Yeah. And there's like all these things. Like it's so easy to just to to take precautions and and to like really. Um, just cut off any opportunity for people and yeah it, it just opened up my eyes to yeah. so much whenever so, i saw stuff so like that that process is called red teaming mm. uh, in security in the military and law enforcement red teaming is a term that came from you know 40 something years ago because the reds were the russians mm. and so you would basically have your own team come in and and they're playing an adversarial role and they show you all the weaknesses right and and, and we identify those as vulnerabilities right the the chink in the armor that allows the attack to penetrate and be successful um so i, I think that's the best way to learn to be honest like you you know where your game is weak normally for us like if we talk about red teaming um you know you put yourself in a bad position in jujitsu and then you work from there or you do positional specific sparring like right positional sparring it yields that hey here's my weakness okay let's start working on that right did you so with with a lot of your clientele over the years did you like educate them or coach them to like become like harder targets or it's people are people and, and so you just if, kind of just did your mm, job and not always and let so, them be the same no 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 so so some people are open and willing and want to hear that mm. and some people could give two shits like I, I really don't care that's why you're here I hired you to do that you handle it I don't mm. care so we have some clients that we've gone and literally trained up I have a couple of clients who have brought me to their homes and then brought their staff in and trained up their staff um, so they're extra eyes and ears we call that force multipliers so we mm. have these force multipliers so if I have his eyes and ears and your eyes and ears and this other guy's eyes and ears, now we have people work in the room for us. That right. They can scan and assess and see something before it happens. And that advanced indicator allows us to make decisions that will allow us to, to take the best course of action. Mm. Right. So I have some clients that do that. Some that actually have a couple that are ongoing um, where I'm going out and seeing them on a semi-regular basis. And then we do the full gamut. So we're teaching them about that and hardening the target of the house themselves, how they move, what they do, then teaching the people how to work in teams whether it's a medical emergency or active shooter or whatever it may be teach them how to use gear some including weapons other ones just like on basic medical gear using trauma kits so they have uh, you know quick clot and tourniquets and israeli bandages and all these things that will sustain or save a life um and now they know how to use it. So now if it happens to them, they mm. can apply it to themselves. They can apply it to their, their wife or their kid or their employee. Right. Or the employee can apply it on them. So so we do that. In entertainment, you don't see it as much. Like guys that have had other backgrounds, like um, we've done it with Supreme Court justices. We've done it with executives. Those guys tend to be more um, voracious consumers of that type of material and training. The entertainers, I you know, Not so much. Yeah, whatever. Look, bro, I'm just paying you. Just keep me hey, safe. Dude. Yeah, you <laughs> You you do that. That's why you're here. I don't need to learn that. Yeah, there's I can just the the sheer amount of like variables with probably some of these um uh like these people that you've had to protect. I can only imagine it's just insane. They're people, right? And so even if it's in in jujitsu or something else, you still have all these different personality types. You still right. have all these people that are also in different points in their life, like whether it's their age or whether it's like a, a traumatic experience or whether it's they're in the peak of, you know, their success. And now all of a sudden they've got all these things happening and they've never really processed it before. Just like, you know, starting with jujitsu, we're like, holy shit, what just happened to me? Yeah. And so they're overwhelmed and they can't take it in. And then you got guys that are legacy acts and, and, and they've been around it all. They've been exposed to it all and they can be more kind of in the moment and they're interacting with you in a different way. But, 
you know, people bring problems, generally speaking, and, and just like with this book, protection for humanity and protection from humanity, the, the solution, the problem are one and the same. It's yeah. people because people create problems and people solve problems. And so with, with the clients that we have, you know, whatever they came to entertainment with, typically that gets exacerbated. So if you're a shithead and now you have $100 million, you're a very rich shithead. <laughs> if you're an awesome human, if you're a really good, solid person, salt of the earth person yeah um and you get 100 million you're a salt of the earth human with 100 million dollars who's using that for good things so you know we pretty much have everything yeah with, with people you just quickly realize people are people people are people kind of all over the world people are just living um they it are. seems like a really good skill is is to is, is like how quick are you able to kind of just like like adapt and like almost like you have to like be a chameleon with whatever environment that you're in is that like a fair statement yeah, I mean, that's at least our approach, our attempt to do that. Some places we're not going to be able to do that, whether it's our appearance or our, our behavior, mannerisms or clothing or whatever. But a big part of what we're doing, and I, I don't know if you got to this part in the book yet, but, you know, we talk about that social integration and, and that environmental analysis. And mm. so if I go into a certain area, let's say Mexico, I've been going there for so long now. And we go there all the time and we operate from the lowest, poorest level in the shittiest part of Mexico to the high, I mean, the highest level. So literally that full gamut. Um, and how I interact with them is different based on where they're at in that spectrum because yeah. they identify with something different. And it can be, it can be dealing with, um, you know, a, a person who literally has nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean like they don't have shoes on their feet. They don't have socks. They have one pair of clothing, uh, you know, one pair of pants and a shirt. And then they have like a, essentially an A-frame style house they made with sticks. Mm. And then I can be dealing with Supreme Court justices, presidents, uh, you know, presence of major corporations and entities. Yeah. Um, and, and they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So I have to figure out where they're at in their life, what they have access to, what they can understand. Um, I started a charity in Mexico, and one of the things that I was, was doing, this is a long time ago, was bringing in you know flour, rice, beans, water, um, clothes, and stuff like that. One of the things I initially brought to were toothpaste, toothbrush, and all these other kind of hygiene products. Came back six months later, all the food's gone, the clothes, clothes the clothing is worn out, um, but full tube of toothpaste and all the other hygiene products. Why? Because none of that relates to survival. Right. So, you know, I was operating with my headspace here, not there. And so that's kind of what you pick up with the cultures. Then let's say uh, I really want to make a connection. If I know what's playing on TV, if I know the music, if I know, and, and, and again, genre specific, because if, if you're 20 something, it's not the same as 40 something, 60 something, something like that. Yeah. If I know the hot topics in that country, I can talk about it. Mm. Um, if I know how they celebrate things and when they celebrate things, and if I know kind of their general responses to things, you make that connection, right? Mm. And and once you make the connection, now they are more forgiving of any errors you make or any issues that come up. And they they see, even if, you, let's, say, let's say your language is not very good and you're trying with that local language, yeah. um, they're forgiving because they see that you're trying. They're, you're working to make a bond or a connection. And generally speaking, broad stroke, in most places across the world, that solves problems most of the time. Not always. Yeah, just like trying to like integrate. Yeah, the best they you can. they see it, they feel it. Yeah, they yeah. see that. Um, you know, I've had that happen um, in South America. A lot have had it happen in Mexico. A lot have had it happen in Southeast Asia. Um, we were working in northern Iraq, and I've had that happen in Erbil and outside of Mosul, where they see you. You don't have the ability to communicate, but they see the look in your eyes. They see what you're trying to do. They see your body posture and positioning, and they, you know, 
they understand that and uh, you're not a threat and that you're trying to help and or you're trying to achieve something that might be good for them. That's a big component of what we do. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was the uh, again the Clear Hot podcast, but like you were, I was I was kind of like trying to like pick you apart a little mm-hmm. bit. And I'm just like you're very careful with your words, and there's one time you're like you you use one word, and then you're like, well, they say this, and then you changed it to like to match what was um, used like locally for that that situation that you're explaining, and it just it just stuck out to me because it's like there's I can just only imagine the sheer amount of times in different places around the world where you kind of have to adjust what you say, how you say your body language your hand movement just all these eye contact all these different things just to you know to to work well within that culture and system and uh, it just seems like definitely probably a very uh useful skill but it's one of those things that probably takes quite a bit of time i'd imagine to to develop it does but so the the thing you mentioned um me changing the word relative to the context of the situation or the subject you identifying that is um, analysis and so for you to be able to analyze it and pick that out means that you have the skill or the ability at least if not the skill to do that in a foreign place right and so that literal thing that you just used to to identify that is what we would use we'd say okay that doesn't match with this or why does that guy keep touching his heart like this what does that mean and why is he doing this and you start to mirror behavior and people um, if you don't know better people like it when you mirror their behavior people will fall in line with you easier you know if you're sitting like this that's probably how i should should sit Uh, generally generally or i could sit like you or or, yeah or or change (laughs) i mean in our case it doesn't matter but but if i cross my legs i'm sitting like this you're doing that i'm going to mirror behavior mirror posture um you know uh, if you're speaking in a certain cadence i'll try to match that cadence if you're speaking a certain tone i'll try to match that tone or unless i need to bring it down and then i'll adjust that way but those components will affect how that person receives you um and then what they're willing to let you do um and, and you have to be, I think, willing to, to help them. It's not just they're a means to an end. Yeah. Um, and, and that happens. And people see through that. You might get one or two goes with that where yeah. you're taking advantage of them. But uh, for long-term relationships, which is what we have, um, it's got to be real. And right. so you're trying to figure that out. You're figuring them out. And for me, I'm also passionate about learning. So being passionate about learning when I go to a new culture, a new place, or even if it's a place that's, um, I know very well, if I'm in a different environment within that place, things change. So I'm trying to figure that out. How do I operate? What's important here? What's not important here? What is normal here? What is not normal here? Um, what do they like? What do they not like? And when I figure that stuff out in one place, two places, simply 147 places, all of a sudden, now that's just second nature. That's how you're doing business. Right, right. You know? Yeah, so you're just on this, this ever-evolving just cycle of just learning this new place, learning this new skill, just constantly learning. That's one of the things I really picked up was, like, how cerebral you are. Um, do you like, do you have a preferred method of learning? Do you like to read books? Do you like audio books? Do you prefer just kind of, like, hands-on doing things? I, I, or? Probably the latter. So I, I would say I learn fastest through hands-on like kinesthetic learning okay like i i want to see it i want to hear it but feeling it and doing it is probably the quickest um you know in theory the coupling of all those things together puts you in the high 80th percentile for for learning um you know i like auditory but like most men i'm very visual very very visual so you know seeing it is probably on the top with doing it um even though i'm a huge fan of the arts and, and music in particular 
Um, but I don't think hearing it alone does it for yeah. me. It's seeing it and then physically doing it. Right? Yeah. I'm watching it, watching it, watching Because part of scanning and assessing is that I'm watching it and trying to understand the components, the variables in that equation and how those variables are manipulated to get a specific outcome. And now I'm trying to do it and feel it. And then probably after that is then hearing for the final kind of adjustment for me. Okay. Okay. Do you have any like Do you have any books though that you like you you like really like enjoy or authors or Yeah, I'm, I read I read probably a book or, or two. topics even like because you I, I think I was I was on your uh, your uh, your one of your Instagrams and there was a there was a post and I think it was about like either like neuroplasticity or yeah. possibly epigenetics so one of the two but both both, like, <laughs> both so <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a big fan of that so so right now I'm rereading a book called Deep Survival like who dies when they die why they die the choices that the brain makes and how and how it affects you and um, uh, Lawrence Gonzalez I believe is the author's name so I'm reading that I'm rereading a an essay by um, Thomas Sowell um, called uh, I think it's called in, uh, Barbarians Inside uh, the Gate um, and it's from 99 but Thomas Sowell is you know yeah, he's, I, he's, he's I just he's, read his Black Rednecks White Liberals book and it's phenomenal Man, that that guy. I mean, think about this. First of all, and, and I want to get into what you mentioned because that's Huberman Lab, and I'll talk about that. But um, Thomas Sowell, first of all, was very poor, grew up initially in North Carolina, then moved up to New York. He lived in Harlem. So he's a poor guy in Harlem, black guy. Yeah. Um, didn't have access to anything, managed to go to school, then ends up at Harvard, ends up at um, uh, uh right next to it in New York, uh, also Columbia, Columbia. University, um, then ends up in Chicago. He gets his PhD in Chicago. Then he ends up at UCLA, a few other places. Then he ends up at Stanford. Um, and and so he does all these crazy things, but also he was a Marine. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so now you know. <laughs> so he was a Marine in, uh, during the Korean War, so that would have been in the 50s. Um, but this guy, you know, he doesn't operate on emotion. There's a lot of great things with emotion. Again, I mentioned I love the arts, film, music, a lot, a lot of components. But when you're making decisions and it's long term, um, emotion is very dangerous because people can be swayed with emotion and emotion is temporary and it can be good emotion and bad emotion. That's, that's, it's all temporary. It's all, he cuts through that so well and he gets to the logic and, and the way that he does it, I think, is rather eloquent. And, and uh, you know, he's I, I probably got of my top hundred quotes. He's probably got half of them. Like he just, <laughs> he's just he's on point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think. Uh, he understands the manipulation of people and systems. And also you, you think about now, like he's viewed as a super conservative guy, but the reality is like before he was trying socialism it, it, when he lived in New York and Harlem. And then he's like, no, this is a broken system. This doesn't work. This is why, this is why, this is why, this is why. And he's testing it across time. It's not just him with a random idea. And he, right. he spews this idea. Like he's testing these things. And then he's explaining to you every component as to why he thinks that way. And it correlates to reality. And so that, that resonates with me and yeah I, I just i have the utmost respect for him and and he's he's getting up there and he's probably close to 90 or in his 90s and he's still living out there at, at stanford um but man that's that's one guy who um, i'd love to meet and sit down and talk to yeah i mean certainly one of the great that. thinkers of our time absolutely but but shockingly most people i know have no idea who he is yeah it's it's very surprising why would you have a guy like that who is not completely and totally embraced. Like that guy should be put up on a pedestal, in my opinion. So getting away from Thomas Sowell, who, <laughs> who I obviously uh, have a lot of respect for. But uh, if we get away from him, uh, Andrew Huberman. 
Andrew Huberman is a neuroscientist. Um, he is uh, now doing a podcast called The Huberman Lab, uh, and he's explaining kind of how the brain works, why you think the way you think, all of the chemicals involved, the connection points, what can change it from a physiological perspective, behavioral perspective, you know, even even getting certain angles of sunlight at a certain time of the day and resetting certain things, releasing certain chemicals, what you should eat or drink to affect that, how you can get the highest level of performance, um, you know, we think that doing something repetitively is what instills a certain um, acceptance or, or knowledge of some type of skill. And he was explaining the other day, maybe four or five podcasts ago, about like mismatch. Like you failing at something actually makes you better at it and you learn quicker to correct oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. And so he went through the science on that. And so like just breaking stuff down, very, very basic yeah. to the point. Um, his podcaster, you know, probably about an hour-ish long um, and he's talking to normal people. He's not talking to other neuroscientists. Yeah. And so hearing that and understanding how it works and then, okay, I'm thinking about it in context of jujitsu or MMA or Muay Thai or, or in uh, protective security or in military or law enforcement, whatever thing I can reference yeah. and going, holy shit, that guy's right. Of, yeah. of course he's right. I mean, he's, he's a, a top level neuroscientist. So, you know, he's the kind of guy that, uh, that I am drawn to information yes he's cerebral but it's real world application so right. i the theory's nice but if the theory doesn't match up with the reality i'm not much of a theory guy right so i need to first understand the theory and then practice but the end thing meaning the, the practice the hands-on real life that's what i care about right and it's as long as it has an actual theory. practical application Correct. for you prac app yeah. is it so we i did a course for a governmental entity last week um, you know, and we were doing stuff relative to um, combatives, we'll say, you know, the punching, the kicking, the throwing, um, restraint moves and positions. And that's all great. You're in a classroom, you're on a nice soft mat, you know, even the walls are padded and they're your friends and that's great. The minute that we go outside and they get stuffed under a vehicle and there's a shock knife and a gun involved and then that guy's not nice and they don't know him and he's 300 pounds and he's on top of him, it changes. And, or they're stuffed inside the car and there's no space and it's not soft and that person's trying to take their gun and now there's a thing, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden very different. And so my end outcome is that. And, and that's why I say, you know, I'm not so motivated by tournaments or, or MMA or even when I did it, I was not motivated by the tournament or not motivated by the fight. I was motivated by the ability to use that to get to the end outcome of a street situation. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. The, the competition is just another means to an end. It's Correct. just a way to sharpen the tool. Correct. And, and, and I've talked about this too. If I won by two points in my mind, I didn't win because I didn't submit them. If I lost by two points, I didn't lose. Right. So it's it just, yeah. It's my mind. It's not a smart way to approach training yeah. um, or, or competition, um, but for me, it, that's what's relevant. Yeah, that makes sense. From a from a competition jiu-jitsu standpoint, that's kind of why, personally, I, I like the submission onlys. Um, 100%. I'm with you on that. You don't got to worry about any of the points and shit. Like, you're just you're trying to finish somebody. Yeah. So I like that. Which right. is the objective of fighting and the objective that Elio Gracie had, right? Right. He never talked about getting points. You, you never heard that. You right. never heard, you know what? You really need to change the way you're fighting so you can get more points. Right. He didn't, they didn't have belts. Like, from, if I recall, didn't he wear like a blue belt? Well, that was. Just because it was a different color? Yeah, that was kind of like a FU, like, 
you know, the belt doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like he was already however many stripe black belt, like top tier. Right. Um, but that was just like, look, it's, it's all about the basics. And yeah. It doesn't matter what color my belt is. I'm still Elio Gracie. I'm still at this level, whatever. So stop getting hung up on the belt. And yeah. there were a lot of uh, stories that were attached to that. But ultimately the, the significance of that was, yeah, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> holds just, my pants up. Right. Yeah, it's just the two or, inches. Or keeps my kimono. Yes. Keeps right. my kimono together or just two inches, whatever it is. But it, at the end of the day, like that's so insignificant. It's hard to um, convey that to guys here because, you know, and probably too for us to some degree, guys equate that to their value, right? So right. like they want to get promoted because promotion is recognition. And if you recognize them, then they're valuable. Right. And so it makes sense. I want to see progress. I want to be recognized. So they want that belt promotion. Um, it, it's hard to not want it. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, it's not about the belt. It right. really, it really is not about the belt. Right, right. It really isn't. It just, just keep training. Yeah, I, I was a purple belt for seven years, and uh, I can tell you that you know changing to brown belt changed nothing. <laughs> like <Right>. it, made, <laughs> it didn't make me any better. It didn't change my game. It, it did nothing. Puts right? a bigger target on you, if anything. Yeah, at least that's in the gym. It's just more responsibility. Yeah, that's it. Do you um do you prior like prioritize like sleep or recovery or anything like that? I As mean, I'm getting older, a hundred percent. And in fact, um, you know, I won't be respectful of your time. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I want to I want to take you somewhere and, and show you a place. I don't know if you've heard the teammates talking about it or not, but restore um, hyper wellness. I've not been there. No. So you know they do PBM uh, photobiomodulation. So you're getting these laser lights, red light therapy. Okay, you're cool. getting uh, full body cryo, yeah, cryo and negative there. two four. Not not this cryo, like full body full. in a chamber. Oh, cool. Um, you're getting like uh, hyperbaric oxygen. So you're Ooh, getting pressurized cool. and oxygen dumped in. And so the answer to your question is yes. So as I get older, I've got all these injuries that have occurred over the last 25 years, and then yeah. I get the new ones from going with the young rambunctious guys who are going nuts to try and yeah. know, get a notch on their belt so i'm still training i'm still training hard i'm still training with all the guys but i gotta take care of more so i need more sleep i need more water i need to recover better um if you to come in you know you stayed out there but if you to come in a little early you seen i had a big knee brace on i've got <laughs> a torn mcl i've got a torn meniscus I've got, and so now it's trying to manage the old injuries and then prevent the new ones and then more time recovering i'm drinking less way less than i ever drank um you know i'm, I'm spending more time trying to recover trying to stretch trying to do those things so so yes and yes and yes when i was young and dumb i didn't put a lot of emphasis on that because you recover very quickly yeah but now sneaking up on 50 years old i realize oh shit like I'm, I've pushed past the, the kind of halfway point in terms of life, but also like these aren't, these injuries aren't going to improve. Actually, they keep getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> so how do I now continue to do the thing I love right. with these existing injuries and then prevent further ones? So I train a little bit differently um, and then I cycle through stuff, but a lot of preventive stuff, a whole lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, um, I got real conscious of sleep just because like that's where learning is done that's where yes. you're encoding that's where yes. all the repair is done so yes. i didn't know if that was something that was like on it's, your radar it's, it's huge and, and shockingly as i get older i actually need more and um really more than just time the quality of sleep right yeah, and so as you right. probably can surmise when i'm traveling and i'm going country to country to country to country and right. I, may, I may be gone six months and i may be in that six months in 70 countries and in 300 cities um Right, I, sleeping jet lag, like I'm flying across the earth. Right, to and you're, the in, other you're side. in a new environment, so naturally you're going to be more alert. Yes, and then so so sleeping with stimulations already difficult. Sleeping on a different bed, even gravitational pull. Like okay, normally I'm sleeping with my head in this direction, but now I'm here. That change, like all these small things affect it. 
And then maybe I have a window to work in and my client's sleeping and now I've got this pocket to kind of go do my site surveys, my advances. So now I got to learn the hotel. I got to learn the routes I gotta, and they're sleeping right. and another guy's on their door or something like that. And so now I got to get back and get to bed. And so yeah. I'm, I'm way more cognizant of that. And I agree with you. Everything that's critical happens when you're sleeping, like in terms of your development, your recovery, right. all of that stuff. And so we tend to blow it off, especially in the military, like suck it up, suck it up, buttercup. Right. Uh, that's not a smart approach. Yeah, you can do it when you're young, but eventually it, it only it yeah, all no. catches up. It, it costs. There's a, there's a heavy price. Yeah. Well, Todd, dude, thank you so much. Like, we'll wrap this up. I'm gonna be respectful of your time. Um, yeah, we're like an hour fifteen in on this, so um, and we started a little late. So, <laughs> dude, um, thank you so much, dude. Yeah. Um, so, protection for and from humanity. Um, I'm going to link everything in the show notes, so that way people can easily find all your websites. Um, but did you want to? If you could just tell the people. So no. So. So, sure. So this book is, um, you know, a few months old. It's called Protection Forum from Humanity. Um, It's basically taking very complex systems, making them simple, common sense approaches to everyday life for the average person. So you don't need to come from the military, law enforcement or protective security or you know, private military contractor. This book's for anybody. You can read it. It's approachable. You can apply it to your daily life. you know, it, it's designed for the private citizen. Um, Phase Line X, which you see in this T-shirt here, is a training specifically for um, private sector civilians. It's not governmental. It's not for, um, you know, high-speed people. It's you trying to learn how protection can be implemented on a physical component, like we talked about that PRAC app. So here's the theory in the book, but this is the practical application of it. So we'll come and we'll do drills and scenarios and all that stuff in the real world. Um, so Phase Line X is a training program, phaselinex.com tourprotection.com um gloves come from the book um you know i have a website i it's not that important to me but if you wanted to know more about me toddafox.com you see a lot of pictures a lot of cool pictures from all over the world yeah um but really right now kind of you know the thing is the flavor of the hour is the book and the training um, but if you want my backstory, you know, I don't spend a lot of time saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Right. If you want to look at that, there are a lot of, you know, pictures that kind of give you some context in however many countries with different people ranging from the top tier of society to the lowest level of society. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of cool content on that website. And um, I feel pretty cool having these gloves because obviously Maynard gave these to Joe Rogan. And I was like, yes. oh, my God, oh, these are sweet. Yes. Maynard did give those to Joe. So now you and Joe have something in common in yeah. addition to, to running podcasts. Yeah, these are awesome. And the book is, is super digestible very easy to read um easily understood so i'm that, excited for you to finish it yeah i can't wait I, mean, I, I just started on sunday actually um i ordered it but i wanted to try to finish it before we sat down and, and for uh our non-voracious consumers of books it's in pretty big print in terms of font size and uh you know there are some graphics in there for for those of you that don't like to read too much so <laughs> you got bits and pieces good but, diagrams uh, good graphics. yes yes you got all that fun stuff so uh it's it's easy it's digestible even if if you're not uh, a big reader have you thought so, about doing an audiobook version i know there's some i've been asked there, actually by some of our apply, team members yes uh, three or four of our team members like dude uh let me know when that comes out on an audiobook i, I you know i don't read i only do audio <laughs> Uh, I don't know that, uh, that this is going to be big for audiobooks. I mean, right now we're kind of just under 5,000 copies sold. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's in e-format. Um, you can get it a lot of different ways. I would prefer that you buy it from our site because Amazon is going to take 50% of my money. Right. Yeah. Go uh, straight right, to the source. <laughs> right away. Straight but, to the source. Let's go but, to you. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the audio version of this book is in this training. So if you come to the training, how we generally run training is we do 50% classroom and then 50% practical application. So let's say I sit there and explain to you in a PowerPoint presentation, you sit in a classroom drinking your coffee, eating your Danish or whatever we provide you, and you're listening and we're talking through stuff and it's kind of a Q&A after instruction and then we go in and we actually do the thing. So if I'm talking to you about um, down driver drill, like somebody's driving you and they have a heart attack or they get shot or whatever it is and they're down and out how do you clear the center how do you get control of the wheel how do you get on the gas or the brake how do you move and where are you moving to and what are you doing and how do you do it at high speeds how do you do it at low speeds how do you how do you make those decisions right so we physically do that and we do that in an environment where it's real not where we're just talking through it and you're doing it in a stationary car with nothing around you so um that's kind of the solution to the audio version until we get on uh, audible yeah well it's better because then you can get you get hands on that way maybe so. you can be my audible guy i'm with it give, give me that audible contract <laughs> I, and uh, i have an annoying voice so i wouldn't read it but we can we can make it happen we can record it <laughs> maybe we can get somebody to sing it can you sing the book for me i can't sing i think um, we talked mine's, about mine's sing, worse singing whatever like yours <laughs> is mine's worse you don't want my singing voice. that's funny so todd thanks again man um I don't thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Guys, if you want to become superhuman, awesome people and learn how to be badasses, come train with Todd. Check out the book, and uh, I'll catch you guys next time. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, I'll be honest, man. uh, As much as I loved sitting down with Todd, and I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation, I another conversation that he had, which I, I absolutely loved, and I feel like maybe even well not even maybe in my opinion actually does a better job of highlighting who todd fox is um he had some amazing stories go check out the andy stump cleared hot podcast i'll put a show i'll put a note or a link i'll put a link in the show notes for that one so you can check that out as well that's three hours of those guys uh talking and todd sharing just a lot of stories um stories that we didn't even get into on on our show so uh, go check that out for sure. If you guys are getting value out of the podcast, I have to ask, just do me a solid. Go tell a friend. Uh, bring us another listener. It just helps the show grow. If you could also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast, that really helps the show as well. Um, you know, Subscribing if you're not subscribed. You know, go like our pages on social, all of these things, man. It takes just a, a couple minutes and it really helps us grow immensely. And I cannot, I cannot thank you enough. So that's all I have for you guys today. Uh, check out the, the show notes. So that way you can follow the links. If you want to get connected with Todd and all the awesome things he's doing, whether it's his book or you wanted to train with Todd or whatever the case may be. Uh, I got those in the show notes and uh, yeah, man, I will see you guys next time. I love you. Bye.